We turn in God's Word this morning to the book of Leviticus chapter 1. We'll look book of Leviticus chapter 1. Last Lord's Day we considered uh, verses 1 and 2 in our introduction to this series of messages on the book of Leviticus. Um, one that, uh, a series that uh, one of you as a member sort of asked for. You ask a simple question, but you get a long, long answer to it. That's okay, because it is the book of the law that the Lord has given to us. Because you see, you have to stop and reflect for just a minute. Psalm 103, right, of David. So don't, don't set Psalm 103 after Christ. Set it before. What, what is David's hope? Of this great steadfast love. What is David's hope in the compassion of God to forgive his sins? What what is David basing that on as he lives before the death, resurrection of Jesus Christ? Well, he's looking to exactly what we're looking at this morning. He's looking to these sacrifices... Not in the sense that the sacrifices themselves were going to take away his sin. But David understands by faith that these sacrifices point to a greater sacrifice by which sin is removed. So as he's rejoicing in God's great forgiveness, it's because he knows what's happening. At the temple, he knows what is taking place upon that altar. And he knows that those sacrifices that are being offered are pointing to the forgiveness of his sin in the one who is to come. In the one who is going to come and be that redeemer. So let's read Leviticus chapter 1. I invited you as a, as a homework assignment to read uh, all the way through, I believe it was Leviticus 1 through 7, as you covered all of the sacrifices. Um, we're just going to read the first chapter dealing with the burnt offerings, but we're covering all seven of those chapters this morning. Hear then the breathed out word of the Lord to us today. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock from the herd or from the flock. If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. He shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting, that he may be accepted before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. And he shall kill the bull before the Lord. And Aaron's sons the priest shall bring the blood and throw the blood against the sides of the altar that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Then he shall flay the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. And the sons of Aaron the priest shall put fire on the altar and arrange wood on the fire. And Aaron's sons, the priest, shall arrange the pieces, the head and the fat on the wood that is on the fire on the altar. 
but its entrails and its legs he shall wash with water, and the priest shall burn all of it on the altar, a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. If his gift for a burnt offering is from the flock, from the sheep or goats, he shall bring a male without blemish. And he shall kill it on the north side of the altar before the Lord. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall throw its blood against the sides of the altar. And he shall cut it into pieces with its head and its fat. And the priests shall arrange them on the wood that is on the fire on the altar. But the entrails and the legs he shall wash with water. And the priests shall offer all of it and burn it on the altar. It is a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. If his offering to the Lord is a burnt offering of birds, then he shall bring his offering of turtle doves or pigeons. And the priest shall bring it to the altar and wring off its head and burn it on the altar. Its blood shall be drained out on the side of the altar. He shall remove its crop with its contents and cast it beside the altar on the east side in the place for ashes. He shall tear it open by its wings, but shall not sever it completely. The priest shall burn it on the altar on the wood, that is, on the fire. It is a burnt offering, a food offering, with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Thus far, the reading of the word of the Lord this morning. Let's bow in prayer. Shall we pray? Father, only a short week ago, we were given the assignment to read the first seven chapters of Leviticus. And we were also told that it probably wasn't the easiest part of the Bible to read, and yet as we read it, we couldn't help but wonder, how did those Israelites so many years ago keep track of all these different sacrifices and all the rules and regulations? And But we were also informed that all this points forward to uh, such a, the most wonderful story which happens in the New Testament. So we pray, Father, that... Uh, you will be with Pastor Bob now as he leads us on our journey through Leviticus. This we pray in Christ's name, amen. And amen. So first of all, the purpose this morning of, the sac- of each sacrifice, we'll cover all five that you read about. Secondly, the method of the sacrifices, that which we find uh, sort of in common as we go through those chapters, and then the fulfillment of the sacrifices, and then the application particularly for today. So, um, as far as we look at the purpose of each sacrifice, there are five that were given to us in these chapters, and I'll list them and then come back through them. First of all, there is the burnt offering. This is the one that that we read about here in Leviticus chapter 1. Secondly, there is a grain offering. Sometimes... uh, Uh, Various versions might use a different term. They might talk about it as a drink offering. Sometimes that goes together with it. Third, there is a peace offering. uh, That once again, your particular version in reading might have used the term thanks offering. Uh, You might have heard a wave offering or a vow offering before the Lord. Fourth is what is called the sin offering. And then the fifth one is the guilt offering, or your version might use the term trespass. Now let's go back through it. What was the purpose of each one of these? The burnt offering, okay, um, the, the, the Hebrew word that's used here means to go up. 
okay? So it's the idea of the smell, okay, the aroma, it going up before the Lord. It is a whole and complete offering. Everything, okay? Everything is given. Except, we will read later on, they remove the skin. But this is the only offering in which even the intestines, even the innards are given to the Lord. All of that, okay, comes to the Lord. When you go through the other offerings, you probably noticed and read that, well, sometimes this portion wasn't, sometimes this portion wasn't, sometimes this portion wasn't, but this one is. This offering had as its basis two thoughts, two ideas. One, it is given as an atonement for sin. I I think I would refer to it in this way. It is a general atonement for sin. Okay, It's the realization, I am a sinner. I have fallen short of the law of God. I have not kept God's law. I have not obeyed God's law. I know I'm a sinner. Therefore, I need to give this burnt offering to the Lord. But it's coupled with the idea of dedication. It's coupled with this idea of devotion. And the idea of the reason we have a whole offering here is it's the idea of giving the whole and complete of oneself. All is being dedicated to the Lord. It's the parallel of Romans 12, 1 and 2, right? The idea of being a living sacrifice, of presenting ourselves as a living sacrifice to the Lord, wholly, fully, completely. They might say, well, why didn't they offer the skin then? Why why wasn't the, the hide offered as well? Now, I don't, God doesn't give us every single detail here as to why, but he might be, and this might be the indication of the fact that when you and I are redeemed into glory, what doesn't go with us? What isn't going to be with us? This flesh, right? This flesh is not which is redeemed into glory. This flesh is that which goes into the grave, is buried, right, outside the camp. We we bury that flesh, the flesh returns to dust, and when we're raised, we're raised with new flesh. When we, if we are alive at the return of Christ, we are transformed and changed. This flesh never inherits glory. And perhaps God is is indicating to us the fact, give your whole self, give your complete self, but remember, okay, there will be a time when we are before the face of God that we sang about before worship began, that in that, okay, yes, I shall behold him, yes, okay, I, I will have a body, but it's a resurrected body, not this one. So, 
chapter 1, okay, you know you're a sinner. You want to give yourselves to the Lord out of devotion. You, you want to pledge yourself to the Lord. You want to live as God's person. Okay? You don't do this just once in your lifetime. You do it repeatedly. Okay? You do it over and over and over and again in your lifetime. You bring this burnt offering. You present it to the Lord. Okay? The whole offering then goes to the Lord. As an understanding, I am a sinner. And I want to give myself fully, wholly, completely to the service of the Lord. Now, the second offering, the grain offering that, Lord willing, you read about, is an offering that was placed on top of this burnt offering. You, you placed it on top as a sign and, and a reminder of gratitude, of thanksgiving, of knowing that the offering that had been made is accepted by the Lord. And you're thankful. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Those words of the psalm that, that we've read are words of thanksgiving for what? Because you gave me food, or you, you watched over my family, or you delivered me from a battle, or you saved me from Goliath. No, it's bless the Lord, O oh my soul, because you have accepted the sacrifice that I offered in atonement for my sin. And you've accepted it. So that's why you gave the grain offering. Grain offerings, as far as we can determine in the word, were never offered on their own. It wasn't just, oh yeah, here I come with my grain offering. The grain offering specifically always accompanies a meat offering that says, thank you. I know the promise of your word. The promise is that you will, okay, when this offering is offered according to your requirements, you will accept it. Thank you. Third offering was the peace offering. Indicating fellowship with the Lord. And some other passages in regards to this, one of the requirements of the priest was he was to take the offering and he was to wave it, okay, to the Lord, right? I know sometimes we, we have this problem with, you know, praise songs and lifting our hands, right, to the Lord. Uh, that's what the priest is doing. Here's the sacrifice. I give it to you, right? I, I give this to you, except... Okay, the offering that is given to you. But it wasn't done out of praise. It was done out of the understanding of peace, of fellowship with God. Because of the atonement that had been made. So there's all sorts of rules that go along with us, but that's the understanding of what that offering is for. I am at peace with God. What a great thing, right? To be at peace with God, as Paul speaks about in Romans. Right? Therefore, we have peace with God. What do you do? I bring a sacrifice. I, I do that which expresses the fact of this union and fellowship that I have with the holy God. 
Fourth was the sin offering. Sin offerings were offered for those sins that you unknowingly committed. In particular, those ceremonial uncleanness laws. When, when, when you became unclean, and we'll have to go through in the book of Leviticus what all that involves. We're just getting the general idea here. Okay? When, when you became unclean, when, when you unknowingly, let, let me give you this example. Okay? There, there's going to come a law that they cannot touch a dead body. Okay? That, that's going to be one of the laws. You, you're not supposed to come in flesh-to-flesh contact with a dead body. Okay? Now, there's going to be all t- sorts of circumstances in which it's possible you do. Right? Husband wakes up in the morning. Wife's dead. He didn't do it intentionally. He didn't do it in purpose, purposely. She, she's laying there dead. His body has been in contact with her. Okay? Now he's spiritually unclean. What do you do? You offer a sin offering. You, you come before the Lord. See, God doesn't just say, oh, don't worry about that. That's no big deal. No, it's still a big deal. It's still sin. And it's a sin that still needs to be covered. And so God provides them with this sin offering. This is how you use it. And and if you stop to think about it, okay, Lord willing, this would probably be one of the reasons you would most often bring an offering. You unknowingly committed a sin against the Lord and now you are unclean. So rather than something minor, this actually becomes a pretty important provision, right? And God's teaching us and reminding us that all sin needs to be covered. He he never looks past any sin. Part of the problem of our society today, but not just our society, it's part of the problem of the church today, is that we we tend to think there's some sin, ah, it's no big deal. Not required the death of an animal in order that it might be covered. Lastly, on the list that you read about, so you had burnt, grain, peace, sin, and then there are guilt offerings. These are offerings that have and focus particular attention on sins committed against the Ten Commandments. These are the things that one would do that are blatant violations of the Word of God in the Ten Commandments. God's moral law. Right? So we have a covering for a general understanding of the fact I am a sinner, right? I'm born with sin, I'm born in sin. David, right, understands that concept. There there are sins that, that I unintentionally commit, but yet they are sins. God provides for that. There are sins that I commit that are against the very moral law of God, and yet God provided for them. 
this guilt offering. So there are the five. That's the purpose of those. And, and as I think about it, I, 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 I'm trying to think, okay, so is there any other sin that somebody can commit that doesn't fall into one of these categories of sin? No. God covered it all. He's letting them know that all of your sin, no matter what that sin is, can be, there is a sacrifice for it. All except one. There is no sacrifice, we will learn, for willful disobedience of the Lord. Whoa! No sacrifice for that? No, God did not provide. Think of that weight. Think of that burden. Think what God is saying. And then think of what God has given. Think of what God has given us in Christ. For certainly Paul would testify to the fact he willfully (laughs) sinned against the Lord after he came to faith. He willfully. Yet God has provided. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Secondly, the method of the sacrifices. First of all, every sacrifice that you read about had requirements, didn't it? They are requirements that are God-determined. God has determined that each of these requirements, whether it's the animal, whether it's the means, whether it's where the blood is thrown, whether it's where you put the blood, whether it's where you put the crop of the bird, God has determined it all. None of this was man invented. None of this was man's idea. This was God determined. God has a reason for each and every aspect of that which he is telling you in Leviticus 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7. But secondly, it is God revealed. Now think about this circumstance. Think about this situation. Even for ourselves. God comes, declares what sin is, tells us what sin is, but leaves out how you can be saved from that sin. I'm going to tell you you're a sinner. I'm going to tell you you violate my law. I'm going to tell you you're imperfect. Now, Try to figure out how to get in good with me. Try to figure out how to have peace with me. Nope, not that. Well, how about this? Not that. Nope, not that. Not this, not that. Think of all the things we try to probably try to come up with to figure out how it is, right, that that we can be in, in good fellowship with the Lord. It's sort of like having a boss who gives you a job evaluation and says, you stink. 
You're a no good employee. Well, what do I got to do? I don't know. You figure it out. What am I doing wrong? Well, I can tell you everything you're doing wrong. Well, what do I got to do? I don't know. I'm not going to tell you. Think of the grace. See, that's why this is not apart from the covenant of grace. This is grace. Leviticus 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7 is grace. Why? Because God is saying, this is the means. This is how. This is what you need to do. Think if God only gave us the covenant of works, it ends with Adam and Eve sitting there, okay, afraid of God, and God never reveals the Savior. God withholds that, doesn't tell us. That's why we say that covenant of grace begins there in the garden, because God reveals. And this is part of, he, he reveals there's going to be a coming one. There is a redeemer. And this is part of that unfolding. This is part of that covenant of grace where God is unfolding before our very eyes. Grace. Even in the fact that he communicates to us. He tells us what he's doing. He tells us. What they have to do for atonement that's pointing to the true atonement that is found in the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And it's God provided. I hope one of the things you caught as you read through this is the fact that there was a means of provision regardless of of your economic status. Even in this burnt offering, did you catch it? Take the bull. Take of the sheep or the goats. Or take of the birds. What's the idea? Well, as we go through it, the idea is this. If you're going to dedicate yourself to the Lord, the sign of that had better be Something that demonstrates value. So if you're wealthy, give a bull. If you're not so wealthy, you're not at that point, you give a sheep or a goat. Male. And if you're one of the poor of the land... Well, then go outside the camp because there's enough pigeons and there's enough doves hanging around the outside of the camp. Capture one and use that. God provides. There's no one who can ever say, well, I'm poor and, uh, you know, what, what can I do? Get a dove, right? Get a dove. Pick up one of those pigeons, Okay. You, you, you know, imagine two, three million people traveling through the wilderness. Imagine the waste that's gathered. Imagine the joy and delight of the birds. Right? Go get one. I'm not denying anyone. What a, what a marvelous God of grace we have. 
you're probably thinking, well, I'm wealthy. I'm not going to give a bull. I'm going to give a, a sheep or a goat. Do you not think the Lord knows that? What kind of offering is that? That's only half-hearted. Well, I know I'm wealthy. I should give a bull, but I'm just going gonna to get away with just a goat over here. What kind of offering is that? Oh, I give you my whole self. And God's going, no, you aren't. You got a bull over there, and you should be giving me that, and you're giving me this. I do not accept your sacrifice. This thing stinks. It's not a pleasing aroma. It stinks. And it's to your condemnation. Method. They had requirements. Secondly, they were always to go on the altar. Every sacrifice you read about here, it comes to the altar. God's approved place. God approved this place, this brazen altar. God ordains that this is the place where the sacrifice is to be made. He is, he is narrowing it down. This is not, oh, we can go anywhere and do anything and we can just offer our sacrifices in any old place. No. Brazen altar. Not any old sacrifice, any old place cuts it. God is pointing us. God is directing us. The altar, the altar, the altar, the altar. You present it on the altar with the fire on the altar, with the fire on the altar, the altar, the altar, the altar. The sacrifice. How many times did we read it? Three times here in Leviticus 1. was a pleasing aroma to the Lord. I don't know about you, but I'm not so sure the smell of curdling blood, of animal intestines burning, of meat being burned, is necessarily to the human nose a pleasing aroma. When I look at the cross, I don't see a pleasing sight. It's an ugly scene. It's a horrific scene. But to God, that smoke rising it's a pleasing aroma to him. This is, this is that which satisfies. This is that which covers. Because it's pointing, it's pointing to the pleasing aroma of the death of Christ. To the Lord our God. It satisfies. His holiness. And his justice. And it's full. Of mercy. And love. As David acknowledges to us. In Psalm 103. And it was to be by a priest. Now there's some aspects of it. That you as the person. Bringing the offering had. Okay? Particularly in the burnt offering, it's kind of noted the fact that you're the one who has to actually 
slit the animal's throat. It's not just, well, here's my bull, here it is. Uh, I got to give him my bull. No, you got to bring the bull and then you, because you see that burnt offering is the dedication of self. You placed your hands on the animal. Is the indication this is, this is the giving of self. And then you had to take the animal's life. This most valued possession. You have to give. All the sacrifices weren't like that. But you'll note that whenever the blood is handled, it's always by the priest. Now, I'm, I'm just going to leave it there, okay, because there's chapters that are coming about the priesthood, okay, which I'll recommend you read for a couple of weeks down the road as, as we get into that. But, but just note that, that God is, is saying, no, you don't do this yourself. You don't take the blood yourself. It's not your blood that, that's going there. It's the substitute's blood that has to come through the priest. And oh, the picture, oh, the picture, right, that emerges then for us out of Hebrews as Brother Mark has been do- taking us through it. Right? That picture of Christ as, as the one who sacrifices, but also as Christ as the one who is the high priest himself. There it is. It's all there. Back here in Leviticus, pointing us, pointing us to Christ. Thirdly, these things all find their fulfillment in Christ. Christ's perfection, right? What does it have to be? It has to be without defect, without defect, without defect. It has to be without blemish. It has to be without sin. There's the spotless lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. See, rather than a dead book just full of Dead information that, that we don't, that, that, that we struggle with. We see Christ, Christ, Christ. If I want to have peace, my peace is only through Christ. If I want my sin forgiven, it's only through Christ. If, if I want to give myself to the Lord, it can only be through Christ. If I want to say thank you to the Lord, it can only be through Christ. If I want my sins of, as we used to use the term, omission and commission to be forgiven, it can only be through Christ, the one who is the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. But there is also the completeness of Christ's sacrifice. You see, a sacrifice is acceptable to the Lord only if it meets three requirements. One, it has to be given willingly. Two, okay, in other words, hey, I just caught you taking the Lord's name in vain. Now, come along with me and offer your sacrifices. That don't count. It's only when that person comes to the awareness of their sin and they come to the Lord. This is Christ, right? Nobody's forcing him to the cross. He's willingly, right? Nobody's nobody's making me die on this cross. I'm choosing to do this willingly, 
Oh, the grace. Three requirements. It had to be given willingly. It had to be given fully. In other words, it had to meet all the requirements that God gave. And thirdly, it had to be given completely. It has to die. That's the sacrifice of Christ. There in that upper room. He's not saying, hey guys, listen. A few hours from now, I'm going to go into a little swoon. You're going to think I'm perhaps passed out. Don't worry, it's okay, I'm still alive. This is my body which is given for you. This is my blood which is poured out for you. There was, there was no picture in those disciples' mind other than the sacrifice that is taking place of the Passover lamb. A complete death. He died. And we come to this table this morning reflecting upon that, that it was a complete death. It was full. It meets every single requirement. And because he's the one that offers it, there is no need for it ever to be done again. This do. To do it to me again? This do to crucify me again? This do to kill me again? No, this do to remember. This do in remembrance of what I have done. Why? Because as the perfect sacrifice and as the perfect priest, it only needed to be done once. Think of what you had to do if you were living in that covenant of grace there in the desert under the book of Leviticus. Wow. (laughs) Glad I don't live then. Yeah. That doesn't mean there isn't a requirement. Take. Eat. Take. Drink. Remember, believe that in the sacrifice of Christ, the fulfillment of all that you have read about this week, all your sin has been paid for. It's all been atoned for. It's all been covered. All the blood that ever needs to be poured out has been poured out so that you might be a living sacrifice, a pleasing aroma to the Lord your God.